0: It's good to be in the Lord's house. It's good to be here. Uh, this morning, our message is entitled Plenty in 2020. Um, before we begin, though, I'm going to ask uh, that you bow your heads and I'm just going to have a word of prayer, okay? Father in heaven, Lord, as we begin this message about plenty in 2020, I ask, Father, that you will draw especially close to us. We pray, Father, for your amazing, wonderful spirit to indwell in this house and dwell in each heart. And, Father, may we, as a people, be open to what you have from the Word of God to say to us today. Lord, speak through me, for I am a weak vessel. I am only a humble man, which... uh, I don't want, do, do not want to take any credit for anything that I said here up this morning. May it be through Jesus. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name. Amen. And again, a warm welcome to each one. A warm welcome to those who are watching live stream on our YouTube channel. And I know that uh, it's a blessing that for us to realize that you are worshiping with us today. So amazing that we can communicate online and also in this congregation. So, plenty in 2020. Before we talk about plenty, let's begin with empty. Jonah, the runaway prophet. Now this Jonah character was in a heap of trouble. The storm was fierce. The jury of sailors had judged that he was unworthy of life. They were about to make Jonah walk the plank, as it were. He would be cast Into the raging sea, and there he would drown. Now, I would hate to drown, wouldn't you? I'm going to relay a little story to you about drowning or a close call with drowning. I was nine years old, and uh, summertime, and uh, a number of my friends decided that we would go swimming in a small pond near my house, and uh, we could all swim. So we got down to the pond, and there was some big, a big rock there, a really big rock. And uh, it was decided that we would do multiple cannonballs at the same time. Does Anyone know what a cannonball is? It's the cannonball where you jump up, and you pull your knees up into your chest, and you smash the water in, and it creates a great big wave. And we decided that we were going to do a multi-cannonball jump all at the same time with six boys, nine-year-old boys, at the same time. Think that's wise? Not really. But boys, oftentimes, at nine-year-olds, are not that wise. So we just proceeded to uh, jump off this rock. And I didn't realize it at the time, but only five boys jumped off this rock in unison. One did not. One was probably two seconds late, maybe three. I remember hitting the water, and I thought it was, that was a great cannonball. And I went under the water, and it uh, went down quite deep, actually. This was a deep pond. When you dumped in, you couldn't feel the bottom. And all I remember is jumping down into this water, sub- being submerged, going a little deeper. And as I came out of the cannonball, I was like this, and I felt this oppressive um, weight on my back and apparently what happened was this person this boy that had been two or three seconds late he jumped in and he was obviously not uh watching where he was jumping and he jumped right on my back and uh, almost like this is my body and one leg was on this one one leg was on this side just like that under the water how do you think that made me feel Yes, I tell you what actually happened. When this boy jumped on my back, it wasn't, he didn't realize he jumped on until he did, but he wasn't, make, he wasn't doing it on purpose. But he knocked the wind out of me. So when you're under the water and you're holding your breath, that's one thing. But when you're under the water and you get the wind knocked out of you, that's quite another thing. Because you have no wind left at all. So the next thing you want to do, has anyone here ever had the wind knocked out of them in their lifetime? I'm sure they've had, or know someone who did. What's the first thing What happens when you get the wind knocked out of you? You want wind. Like instantly. You want to breathe right away. Even at nine, year old, nine years old, I knew that if I took one breath, my lungs would fill up with water. And that would probably be the end because there was no adults around. No one knew CPR. So I was thrashing around, thrashing around, and uh, realizing that any second, though, I'm going to have to take a gulp of water. And one of the, bo- the boy who jumped on top of me realized this, and as I was thrashing around, I grabbed his arm and pulled him down under the water in panic. And the other boys realized that this was a very drastic situation that was unfolding before their very eyes. And amazingly enough, they had the coherency and the wherewithal to grab the two of us and drag us up out of the water. And just as someone grabbed me and pulled me up, my head, my mouth was just above water and I just went, (gasps) and I was okay. You know, panic is a very, very debilitating experience. Has anyone ever been in a panic, panic situation? Like really, that you sort of lost control of yourself in the sense of that this is going this is the end. I, I can't deal with this. I wonder if that's how Jonah felt actually, when he was thrown over the side. you know He was about to drown, and he was alone, and he was without hope. These sailors, they took Jonah and threw him far out over the side of the ship, and down he went into the cold water. Now, being thrown into the cold water is one thing. Realizing that you're going to drown is quite another. And uh, he realized this. Now, he may have managed to hang on to some floating debris or floating things that they threw over the ship for a while. But as the ship sailed off, and uh, do you think that he would, in the middle of the sea, do you think that uh, uh, hanging on to debris is going to save him over time? No. But he tried to save his life, I'm sure. He tried to hang on to something. That's the normal human reaction, isn't it? If you're in danger, if you're in peril, you're going to do everything you can to save your life, aren't you? That's a natural response. He sensed, and, but unfortunately... That's not the way God operates sometimes. It just isn't. As he was hanging on perhaps of some debris, he sensed a new danger coming. A new danger. He saw a large, dark object under the water coming towards him. Now if you're floating around the water with nothing around you and you see this large, dark dark object coming towards you and you know it's big, Are you you going to be happy about that? Are you going to think, oh, that's that's just a creature? You're going to be full of panic, aren't you? You're going to think this is the end of your life, as you know it. And his worst fears were realized when this huge, huge, huge mouth opened up before him. You know, a cavernous mouth huge it was right under him and he knew something drastic was going to happen the water under him swirled like the water going down a huge drain a strong whirlpool sucked him in and down between the giant jaws right into the belly of this water monster it was the worst possible nightmare for jonah Just when he thought he might be able to save himself by hanging on to some debris around, here comes death. But Jonah was dead wrong. What he feared the most was actually sent by a loving God to be his personal Savior. A lot of times we read the story of Jonah as a children's story, and uh, we don't take into account that this whale actually represents Jesus Christ. You know, we are still like Jonah today, aren't we? How often we fear the wrong things. The next time you or I get into some terrible crisis, whatever that is, just try to surrender yourself to God's will. I remember a pastor years ago said in a sermon, and I wrote it down. And he said, the only thing that we should be concerned about is how God moves in our lives through His perfect will. I thought that was a very profound statement. It's very simple, but very profound. Allow God to save you in His own time and in His own way. Sometimes we run ahead of God, don't we? Jonah was a runaway prophet. He was running away from God, and we don't want to do that. God brings men and women into deep waters not to drown them, but that they might be cleansed. We go through terrible trials, you know. But through the trials, we see at the end of the day that God only wants to cleanse us. Had Jonah been able to save himself that day and swim to the shore, he probably would have never gone, never gone to Nineveh. He looked at the Ninevites as not worthy to be saved. Not worthy. Its citizens would all have been lost. God's will would not have been done. And God used a fish to preserve his runaway prophet. Now God did not want to kill Jonah. We know that. He wanted to save him. The belly of a great whale is not a happy place to live, is it? But it was a healthy place to learn. Jonah learned more at the bottom of the sea than some students learn at the seminary. Right? It's true. The whale had enrolled him in the most important school of his entire life. In this floating school, Jonah learned a lifetime of lessons that would never leave him. We do not learn very many spiritual lessons sometimes on the mountaintop even though we want to be on the mountaintop all the time. Unfortunately, it seems that we learn them best down in the depths of the valley. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, I encourage you to write down some texts as I'm going, to go, going through a number of them fairly quickly. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Well, we can do a whole sermon series on that Bible text alone, three days and three nights. But that's not our focus today. And in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40, it says this. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Obviously talking about his crucifixion, his death, and ultimately his resurrection. So was this creature a whale? Was it a huge fish? Well, Jonah says it's a great fish and Matthew says it's a whale. The book, Desire of Ages, it references the whale that it is a whale. So, for today, I'm just going to call it a whale. Now, whales, as you know, can be very large, indeed. Over 100 feet long and up to 150 tons. It's hard to imagine, 150 tons. One whale can be as large as 50 elephants. Now, you just put that in perspective. 50 stampeding elephants, the size of one whale. I think that's awesome, in fact, a newborn whale is twenty five feet long and weighs as much as two full grown elephants a newborn whale. Now some whales are larger by far than even the most dinosaurs that uh, you know archaeologists have dug up, even big way bigger. Unfortunately, you know, in the book of Jonah in our Bible today, it's interesting that The book of Jonah, in a lot of places, a lot of faith groups, and a lot of denominations want to take the scissors to that book. They want to take it like this. This is the book of Jonah. They just want to go like this and throw it out. Why is that? Because on a simple surface reading, Jonah sounds like a tall tale, doesn't it? It can. It can sound like a tall tale. Sound fishy, right? You know, most people think it was a parable or something, right? Now, there's obviously good lessons to learn that way. But you'll find that most, most places, denominations, understand that it is more than a fable than Holy Writ. Most Bible scholars throw the whole entire book out anyway. Do you know why I believe it? Do you know why I believe the book of Jonah? Because Jesus believed it. Jesus referenced the book of Jonah. Where did he reference it to? In Matthew, we just read it. Chapter 12 and verse 40. Jesus himself says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So can I be so bold to say, if you don't believe in Jonah, then how can you believe in Jesus Christ? Right? Because Jesus believed in Jonah. He referenced Jonah as a literal figure. Over the years, I have heard different ideas trying to prove the possibility of a miracle here as well. And believe me, it was a miracle that Jonah lived three days in the whale's belly. But several well-meaning persons have told me stories showing how it's possible for a person to live a certain number of days in the belly of a whale. Trying to prove it. One source said the stomach gases emit enough oxygen for breathing. One said he read somewhere that a whale swallowed a horse. But I ask, why is it that we always have to define a miracle? Why can't we accept miracles at face value? Why why can't we allow God to perform a miracle without examining it? Don't take away God's miracles, folks. God specializes in miracles. Accept them for who they are and you know something, you'll know it's God's miracle because if it aligns with the Word of God, then it's God's miracle. If it doesn't align with the Word of God, then it's a counterfeit miracle. right? For Jonah, sitting in the belly of this whale, I would say Nineveh started to look real good. So Jonah, what was he doing? He was running away from his uh, role as a prophet to warn these people to turn from their wicked ways so that God... Could move upon their hearts and save them. Now, Jonah sitting in this whale's belly. Do you think he had second thoughts about his decision to run away from God at this point? He knew instantly that if he was sitting in this whale's belly, sitting in this whale's belly, he knew the only reason why he was alive was because of God. That's the only reason why he was alive. Solitary confinement. That's where Jonah was, in solitary confinement. And sometimes we need solitary confinement to be close to God, right? Jonah was incarcerated. He was cut off from the whole world. Locked away, and he was, And I'm sure he thought he was doomed to die at the beginning. But prisoners, you know, they have an option to have, make a phone call every now and then. And Jonah makes a 72-hour phone call 72-hour phone call with God and speaking to God alone in solitary confinement. I would call that a miracle and I would call that a blessing, wouldn't you? In Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Jonah called unto God. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord and he heard me. So he he recognized that God heard him. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. It must have been an amazing relief when Jonah realized that God was still with him. God was still honoring him, even though he was trying to run away from God. Today, you know, we have pagers and ham radios and cell phones and satellites, but I don't know of anybody who has a cell phone that can make a call from inside a whale at the bottom of the ocean. And if they do call me up Jonah called God's personal number and our kind helpful ever-present God answered him in a very miraculous way remember the kids song call him up call him up call him up tell him what you want call him up call him up tell him what you want and there's another one that says call collect he'll accept Right. A you know, very simple song. but was very profound, isn't it? We have an opportunity to call God. And Jonah called out to God. And they had a long talk. They had a long talk. And after that, Jonah was never the same. Prayer changes things, and mainly us. And I encourage each and every one of us, including myself, that we would commit 2020 to prayer. Jonah the world's first submarine passenger. The first submarine passenger thought his greatest need was to escape this underwater Alcatraz, but God knew his greatest need was a new heart. Through prayer, Jonah found a saving relationship with God again. Jonah's prayer chapel was smelly, it was damp, it was dark, it was dingy. You know something that tells me? You can pray anywhere. Anywhere. Wherever you are, in your car, at work, at home, digging ditches, doesn't matter. In prison. Jonah should have spent more time in prayer at home by the Sea of Galilee, but now he realized now he has to make up lost time in the belly of a whale. How much easier it would have been if he had remembered to pray before he stepped up to the ticket booth at Joppa. It's never too late to pray, folks. It's never too late to pray. When you have gone down to the very depths of life, God will still listen. And folks, I've been down to the depths in life I have. And I can tell you as a testimony that God still listens. He still listens no matter where you are and what you're doing. Let's continue in Jonah chapter 2, verses 3-6. to six. For thou hadst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy ways passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The death closed me around about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. Powerful. To the roots of the mountains, how deep did Jonah go? How deep is the Mediterranean Sea? 14,436 feet to be exact in the deepest point. I never measured it myself, but I don't know how deep the underwater taxi took Jonah. Jonah. But it was deeper than any living human being had ever been before. You can be well below the bottom of the barrel and if you repent and ask and trust Him, God will answer you, He will hear you, and He will save you. Look at verse 5 again. It says, The seaweed was wrapped around his head. Jonah was adorned with a turban of smelly seaweed. You know? The claustrophobia was terrible. Breathing was very hard. He was at the end. And what do you do in such a circumstance? We already referenced it. Jonah prayed. He prayed. It is vital here to understand, though, what he prayed. What did he pray? And as as I studied this prayer, I made an amazing discovery, actually. As far as I can tell, Jonah did not use one original thought or one original request in his whole prayer. Jonah simply prayed the word of God. He prayed the scriptures on multiple occasions. In Jonah chapter 2, he references from the book of Psalms. I'm going to go rapid fire through these, but please write them down. Because the he's these are the scripture references that he references in his prayer. Psalm 121, in my distress I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Psalm eighty eight six Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit in darkness and in the deeps. Psalm sixty nine two, I sink in the deep mire where there is no standing, I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. Psalm thirty one twenty two for I said in my haste I am cut off from before thine eyes, nevertheless thou heardest the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. Psalm forty two seven. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy waterspouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Psalm sixty nine one. Save me, O God, for the waters are come into unto my soul. Psalm thirty three. Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave; thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. And the final one is Psalm eighty six thirteen. For great is thy mercy toward me and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. Jonah, quoting Scripture as prayer. He was standing on the promises. Remember that song? Standing on the promises of Christ my King Through eternal ages let His praises ring Glory in the highest I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of God. Why are some of our prayers unanswered? Could it be that too few of us have been, al- have been alone with God and His Word long enough to retain anything from which to stand? I'm not speaking individually here. I'm speaking to myself. All right. If you are not spending time with God, your storm is coming. It's just a natural progression. If you don't spend time with God, what else happens? Other things take the place of God. And then storms come. I think of Jonah. When I think of Jonah in the whale, I also think of Job. Job was on a dunghill. Notice how I, pronounce, I put emphasis on the word dung? He was in a dunghill. Joseph was in a pit. David was in a cave. And Paul and Silas were in jail, chained to prison guards. But at midnight, they, they sang a song that opened prison doors. Maybe they, sang, maybe they sang Standing on the Promises of God in whatever form they sang it. Acts 16, verse 25 and 26. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. A testimony. A living testimony in prison. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. A miracle. Do we have to define that miracle? No, we accept it. It is a miracle from God because of prayer. Here we need to learn when you are locked up into the belly of a big crisis, these are the two things that will help get you out of that crisis. One is prayer. And the other is praise. Praise unto God, no matter what. I can picture Jonah singing down in the belly of the whale. Can you imagine that just picture? Singing, singing, praising God in the belly of a whale. And after he gave his heart to God again, he had peace and he praised his Creator. If you have been swallowed up by the giant troubles of life, now who here has not faced a trial in their life? Come on, be honest. Do not allow yourself to wallow in self-pity. Remember to pray to God. If anyone had the... How do I say this? If anyone had the uh, okay to feel sorry for themselves, it would have been Jesus Christ. He deserved nothing that he got. He deserved nothing that he received. But he didn't wallow in that self-pity. He always turned to where? God, the Father. Even in his distress on the cross, when God had to turn away because of sin, and he was in anguish, heart anguish, he realized that even then, God would not forsake him. Ultimately, what a glad day when we stop trying to deliver ourselves! Amen. Folks, we serve a God who was a deliverer in the delivery business. You see advertisements that say we deliver. Well, God delivers. Unless God comes through, we are sunk, just like Jonah. There is no rescue apart from Him. The only way out of this whale was God. Jonah could no more save himself than we can save ourselves. Folks, you know, 2019 is just about spent. Our church has been through some deep trials this past year. We do know what it's like to face trials as a corporate body. We also know what it's like to face trials on a personal level. And I know personally I have faced a lot of uh, trials in my life. Trials that are, on, are hard to bear. They are hard to bear. Um, however, I realize as I look back, God is in the midst. He is in the midst. The Bible is clear that Jonah began his travel to Nineveh on empty. Anytime you run away from God, you're on empty already. God's direct intervention in Jonah's life realized, Jonah realized his need of a Savior. Even prophets of God need a Savior, amen? I heard someone say, if you're a prophet of God, you're perfect. You have to be perfect. Is that true? No, that's not true. That's just not true. You are covered with Christ's righteous robe. And that's how you can be sustained as a prophet of God. When Jonah was released from the whale's belly, he had plenty to praise the Savior for, didn't he? He was forever changed, and the people of Nineveh were saved. Isn't that amazing? Our message today is plenty in 2020. So we talk a lot about being empty. But let's close this message out with plenty. As we begin a brand new year, may we cast aside our burdens, walk every day as if it is the last one that we actually have on this planet and sit at the feet of Jesus. Whatever conflicts we're facing, whatever personal conflicts we're facing, let's sit at the feet of Jesus who is the only author and finisher of our faith. We may indeed be hurt. We may indeed have hurt others, even if we didn't mean to. That doesn't mean that God does not love both ways. It means that we only have to focus on Jesus and Him alone. God's church is surely the apple of God's eye. Now my wife Stephanie's not here today cuz there the my Stephanie and my children. Uh Selena's here but the rest of my children are not well. They've got the flu. And it was snowing so I said, "Hey, you know, stay home." Um, but Stephanie has often <laughs> said to me, "You know something, can you come up with a a a, a new phrase maybe, you know?" I'm tired. I'm sort of tired of hearing. Listen, you say this. I said, the church is the apple of God's eye. And you know something, Stephanie? The ship is going to go through. It's going to go through. And I know I sound like a broken record, but it's true. It's true. You know why I know it's true? Because Zechariah says it's true. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8 For thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you, for he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. Amen? Amen. And what about the, the ship will go through? Well, let's read a quote about that. The Lord has a supreme regard for his church and his people. This quote is from the Acts of the Apostles. Just listen to these words. Is profound. During ages of spiritual darkness, the church of God has been as a city set on a hill. From age to age, through successive generations, the pure doctrines of heaven have been unfolding within its borders. And this is the one we remember. Enfeebled and defective as it may appear, that's the church and the people in it, The church is the one object upon which God bestows in a special sense his supreme regard. Isn't that comforting? It should be comforting for all of us. It is the theater. I love this. I love this. It is, this is the church. It is the theater of his grace. The theater of his grace in which he delights to reveal his power to transform hearts. God transforms hearts in his church. Whether a member, whether a non-member, whether a visitor, or anyone comes through these doors, whatever is going on in these doors, whether it's of human nature or not, God is in the business of saving. Saving. That's it. He wants to save you. And He wants to save me. And I take comfort in these words. I always have. Let's close with these words. These words. And this is from a book called Maranatha. What does Maranatha mean? Anyone know? If someone knows, come on. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. Do you believe it? Do you believe the Lord is coming? I believe it. And let's let's just read these words as we close. God has a church upon the earth who are his chosen people, who keep his commandments. He is leading, not stray offshoots, someone going this way, someone going that way, believing whatever they believe. Not one here and one there, but a people a people a people of God. There is no need to doubt, to be fearful that the work will not succeed. What's the work anyway? What is the work? The work is to share Jesus Christ. That's the work. It's not complicated is it? Share your faith. Be in Jesus. Allow Jesus in your heart. Share your faith. There's no need to doubt to be fearful that the work will not succeed. God is at the head of the work and he will set everything in order. Does man set everything in order? What does man what's man good at without God? Chaos, disarray, hardship, hurt, distraction. that's what man's good at without Christ with Christ is man what does man's what's man's abilities with Christ it's amazing it's unlimited the potential is enormous it's amazing god is at the head of the work and he will set everything in order it matters if matters need adjusting at the head of the work guess guess who attends to it god god will attend to that god will And work to right every wrong. Let us have faith that God is going to carry the noble ship. Which bears the people of God safely into port. The ship. The ship. The people on the ship. If they're at one with Christ. Those people on that ship. They will go through to the heavenly port. It's just as simple as that. Jesus today wants to save each and every one. Give your life to Jesus right now. I'm not saying that anyone here has not given their life to Jesus. But it's always good to give your life to Jesus every day when you wake up. And today, on this Sabbath day, a blessing to come into a house of worship that God can transform us from mere sick human beings to vibrant living men and women and children for Jesus Christ. Don't wait till the giant sea monsters of life have swallowed you up. Because I've been swallowed up by giant sea monsters a few times. And I can tell you it's because of my own doing. It's the only reason. It's my own doing, right? I admit that. Come to Jesus now. Accept Jesus now as your personal Savior. But please, please, and I'm going to continue to sound like a broken record, stay on God's ship. Stay true. God will lead us safely into our eternal home. I'm going to have a word of prayer. And then I'm going to ask Elder Ron to come forward. And he's going to have a prayer over this congregation. Members and non-members alike. And I'm going to encourage each one of you where possible to come forward and to pray. To pray. To pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this truth found in Jonah. We need you, Lord. We need you. And we're thankful, Father, for those words that you have given in, in the Bible that reveal to us the enormity of sin, but yet the even more enormous, miraculous regeneration and salvation that can come through forgiveness and restoration. Thank you, Father, that you are a God that saves, saves to the uttermost, And we thank you, Father, for this time together in your Word. Help us to remain strong. Help us to remain committed. Help us to pray and pray and pray, Father, so that we can be that living witness, that true living witness for you. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.